Also worth the wait is our first guest up on the show today. He is Global News Medical Contributor, Dr. Burinder Narang. Dr. Narang, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Jody, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I want to start with what has many, well, citizens, never mind just parents, but certainly parents in British Columbia, very concerned about Omicron and the Delta variant that is still swirling throughout our province. Those those numbers that we have all been told now, the test case positive new case numbers uh, are only to testing capacity. And, and we're watching south of the border. We're watching in other jurisdictions where there's a lot of discussion about kids and COVID. So I want to tap into your expertise. And, and I know you've been crunching the numbers on the data here in BC. What have we learned? What do we know? Yeah, so there, there's a lot going on. And as um, you guys just highlighted, you know, Ontario has put in some big new um, changes again this morning. So it'll be interesting to see if anything changes here. I have no idea what's being planned here right now. Um, but yeah, looking at what we're learning about Omicron, um, you know, there's this big... Uh, you know, we're all have been saying up until now that, you know, w- there's a lot of signs pointing towards hope um, that this isn't going to have as much of an impact um, on people at an individual level as the previous ones, um, previous variants have. And I think that the data is starting to really build towards supporting that overall. And this is by and large when we talk about patients who are vaccinated. And so in BC, we are one of um the most vaccinated places in the world when we look at our two doses and over the weekend um we've all heard that there have been has been a lot of ramp up in people being invited for their boosters so all that points to good news now with what else we're learning about kids so far and i i look at um i the numbers that i looked at over the weekend were mainly um I mean, that zero to four population, and it really, the reason I did a, a, a deep dive on a Sunday night into that was that, you know, I had a friend who um, I think experiences probably echoing those of many other experiences recently where they got together with some friends, um, you know, in a small bubble, um, they were asymptomatic, and then a, a day or two later, they get a report, hey, by the way, I tested positive. And mm-hmm. so they have a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and they're obviously very concerned how do I protect my child what should I do and so I started looking at it and saying you know what one thing I haven't heard a lot about what is happening in that zero to four population in the last month since we know um, uh, um, we have a lot of Omicron with us and that even a week before Christmas especially in the lower mainland Vancouver and Fraser um, well over 80 to 90 percent of cases were already Omicron so we've it's been in our community for a while now and so I'm like okay well you know we don't want to say anything too quickly we know that hospitals are a lagging indicator we know that critical care is a lagging indicator and all the more severe outcomes that we think about but what we what I did was able to find when I compared December 1st to December 26th um, hospitalizations in that zero to four population were actually half that um, of already a very low number, half that at December 26th compared to um, uh, December 1st. And then when I look at the critical care rate, um, it was basically flat at around zero um, out of 100,000. So they, there doesn't mean that there hasn't been a single um, child admitted to, to critical care. But by and large, it, it's not it's staying around 0.0 that entire month. Which is very hopeful, very, you know, promising for those parents who are absolutely terrified. And and to break it down from my layman's terms, when I'm listening to you, you're so learned. What I hear when you're speaking there is for the parents who are seeing the spread of Omicron or Delta variant at such an incredibly fast pace in our community, it feels like, you know, how do I protect my little baby? Because the unvaccinated piece is so huge here, Dr. Narang, that in, in every piece of the puzzle that we look at, and, and I'm not a physician, which is why I tap into your expertise, <clears throat> but you did post something on your social media uh, from New York City, which is very much a hotspot right now. Concerns about kids, concerns about schools, concerns about hospitalizations. And there was one um, graph that was indisputable when it comes to how much protection, how much armor a vaccine, a, a two-dose on board with a booster uh, can can offer 
and then limit the the spread to those who are loved ones while there is breakthrough um it being vaccinated does protect the unvaccinated yes yes um absolutely um and looking at that, um, again, uh, there is lots of stuff happening around the world. And yeah, New York is one of the hot spots again in the States right now. And so we are going to see headlines about their hospitalizations going up and the numbers will look dramatic. But we have to remember that even within a place like New York State, there are huge pockets of unvaccinated. And, you know, to be unvaccinated and to be fair in British Columbia, we also still have those pockets. So we absolutely need to be careful with this. But when we look at it um, and looking at our own data in BC, um, our hospitalization rates are still 26 times higher if you're unvaccinated and your admission to ICU is still 48 times higher if you're unvaccinated. Wow. And um, if someone is so when we look at transmission i think you have to think about yes the vaccines will help reduce um the amount of transmission that you're able to do but also um if you're unlikely to contract covid19 then you can't transmit it so that's just like really making it simple so like you know there might be some evidence that you know that comes out and says well you know it's not as good as it what thought you know maybe the alpha variant or one of the older variants the vaccines were better at you transmitting it but by and far if you don't have it you're not going to transmit it Jody Vance with you with Dr. Burinder Narang, Global News Medical Contributor, taking your calls 604-280-9898, star 9898 is a free call on your cell. Just want to quickly touch on one thing uh, with you, Dr. Narang, before we get to the callers. The FDA in the U.S. has just approved boosters for teens 12 to 15. Is that imminent here, do you think? I haven't heard any um, discussion on it coming out from Health Canada or NASI yet. Um, I okay. think that w it's a reasonable thing to look at. Um, but I, it's one of those things where a, uh, we need to remember a booster is still best with a, um, as long of an interval that we can safely put between it. And so that's where I think I will look to our guidance to see and how does that interplay with what we're seeing with our um, with our uh, transmission in that population and also knowing that Omicron is not the same as Delta. Good one. Okay, let's get to Bill yeah. in Burnaby. Thanks for calling in, Bill. Your question for Dr. Narang. Dr. Narang, we've looked at some of the data in South Africa, and it seems to be very positive in the sense that it's less than 20% vaccination there, and the variant seems to be replacing Delta. Is it possible that we could be seeing the beginning of the end, knowing that it's less severe and it's becoming the dominant variant? Even though in the U.S. we've seen the highest death rate under Joe Biden, we still see a real positive sign. This could be um, a less severe disease and that people could be, you know, flu-like symptoms and this could be the end. Your comment, please. Um, hi, Bill. Yeah, there, there's a, a few things to unpack there, but I'll, I'll try to address them quickly. So South Africa, absolutely. Now, the difference between South Africa is that they have a, a very young population um, and that they had a lot of natural infection had, had already happened. So it was up to 70, 80 percent of the population had already been exposed to a, a previous variant. And so their immunity is a little different than ours. That's why we didn't want to draw too many conclusions. But yeah, the, even today, the chief health officer of Denmark, where I've been looking at a lot, um, mm. is, is actually now saying, um, uh, well, her quote from this morning is, I think we will have um, that in the next two months. Um, and when she's saying that, she's saying that there will be uh, a shift back to um, whatever the pre-pandemic life was. Now, that's a very bold statement. So I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'll just leave it at that. But um, this does tie into the fact that there's a lot of vaccination immunity, booster immunity, and Omicron itself is um, um, thought to be less severe. Last thing you pointed out that there have been many deaths under Joe Biden. I, I think that I, I would I would be very careful in how I say that because Delta was a much more severe um, uh, a variant that popped up only a couple of months after President Biden took office. And also um, there are massive, massive conspiracies and unvaccinated populations in the States. And a lot of that was fueled under the previous president. president. So I'd be very careful in how I present that. Yeah, it's difficult to ask a physician about the politicization yeah. of, of vaccination yeah. and, and this pandemic. Uh, that's the number that really strikes me when I watch U.S. news, that, is, that only 62% of people in the United States are, are 
fully vaccinated, which is shocking. We're so lucky in Canada being one of the highest vaccinated per capita on the planet. And I think we need to be very proud of that, but not lean into it because it's not a silver bullet. It takes all those layers of protection. Let's go to Louise in Nanaimo. Welcome to the show, Louise. Hi, good morning. I was wondering if there's been any more research in regards to um, COVID and someone with trisomy 21 or Down syndrome. Um, hi, Louise. Um, I, I'm sure that it's being looked at, but I ha- myself have not read anything on that, um, especially recently. So sorry. I wish we had more information on that. We should do uh, yeah. some due diligence on that. Corey, uh, our producer, yeah. is listening in here. Maybe we can look into that. That's a very good question, Louise, and a lot of parents uh, concerned to, to get those details. So we will, we will effort that. Let's go to Elizabeth in Deep Cove. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi there. Uh, um, I'm 90 years old. I never received an invitation for a booster. My second shot was uh, in May, May 21st. And I got the, I phoned in and made an appointment and got the booster um, about the uh, 16th of uh, December. So what I'm wondering is, was were did the first shots wear off by then, and uh, how is the booster going to handle that, or does it? Great question, Elizabeth. So, hi, Elizabeth. So sorry to just to clarify. So you got your booster in, in December then. Yes, I did. Yes. You did, yeah. So it's not that the first shot... Well, first of all, congratulations. That's great. I'm glad that you're boosted. I, I, w- I was a little worried when you said that you hadn't received something. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, uh, but no uh, um, it's not about the first shot wearing off. Many vaccinations require um, a primer, which is to kind of get your immune system ready. It, it like kind of get to, uh, exposed to the, the antigens it needs and the, the little proteins to make its immune response. But we know that it's a very complex system, part of it, which is antibodies, part of it, which is other cells, which we call your um, uh, T cells or your cells immunity. So the Im- antibodies can definitely wane quickly. And the reason we're giving boosters to give a bit of that boost to the antibodies, but also to that more robust um, cellular immunity to make sure that that's longer lasting. So um, that we know that um, the timeline you got it, yes, it was a bit longer. It was about six to seven months, but now you should be very well protected for a while. And has a couple of weeks since the booster, which means, yes, you're in that that sweet spot where it's really kicking in. Thank you for your call, Elizabeth. And we're going to do the due diligence on the Down syndrome piece of the vaccination puzzle. And we'll get into that possibly tomorrow here on the program. Time goes by way too fast with you, Dr. Narang. Thank you for doing this. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Have a great day. Hey, I'm Jody Vanson for Mike this week. Happy New Year to you. I just want to remind you about our Buzzline question. A lot of people stay in tight, stay in home, work from home for that matter. But this stat, what are you watching? What are you binging? What do you, what's your streaming series or movie that you loved most in 2021? Let's share the wealth of your knowledge. 604-331-2899, 604-331-BUZZ. Give us a call, leave a voicemail. We'll play some of your messages at the end of the show today. And uh, and a reminder that Thor Dykow is coming up to uh, give his movie review, his, uh, his top picks of 2021. Thor's always got his finger on the pulse when it comes to, to good entertainment. Uh, again, 604-331-2899 is the number. You can also email me, Jody at CKNW. Dot com. Really looking forward to chatting with my next guest. Haven't had an opportunity to connect with Mark Brand, the CEO of Mark Brand Inc. He is a social impact entrepreneur. He is a chef. He's a professor of innovation. If you follow him on social media, you'll feel like almost exhausted by the air miles this man racks up in the name of spreading the word on no waste food, helping people who live below the poverty line with not that I'm coming to here give you something, but I'm here to help you like family and work together to move the meter toward a better society for all when it comes to being soul fed. Really, you are soul food, Mark Brand, and I'm so glad to have a chance to speak with you, my friend. Welcome. Always an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate you, Jody. Let's start with the the subject matter that uh, has us all very frustrated. I'm sure you uh, you watch. You and I speak about, uh, you know, Save on Meats, your, your space in, in the downtown east side. You, that is community to you. You live within this community. This is a, a, not a place that you parachute into every now and then. So it must be 
I would imagine and assume rather frustrating for you to see sort of news stories spike when there's a when there's an extreme weather event or a, another SRO with no heat or a problem in it. Um, how did you receive the news cycle in the past uh, couple of weeks with regard to the uh, single room occupancy hotels in Vancouver? Uh, I see all of that stuff with hope where I see anger when I see people getting upset and like we have in the you know, 15 years that I've worked in this neighborhood, it brings more attention to. And then if people really care and they're paying attention, they zoom out like the pinch screen on your phone, right? Like, okay, this yeah. SRO doesn't have heat and they don't have the budget to do that. Wait a second, they don't have the budget. Why wouldn't we have the budget to house? Wait a second, why are there tents in the park? Why are there people hungry? Why in Canada, why are any of these things real? And if we zoom out and we don't get lost, because often we get lost in our own guilt and our complacency or what role do we play? And that's when the anger comes and we start to point fingers. So we're like, oh, it must right. be the people running the SROs. Sometimes it is. Most often it's not. It must be the fault of, you know, the people who are addicted to drugs. No, it's not. And poverty is the issue. And poverty is an act of violence. And I say that often because it is. We have more than enough. We've always had more than enough to take care of these issues properly. But then it turns into the famous Spider-Man meme of, you know, there's three Spider-Mans pointing at each other. The federal government's pointing at the provincial, the provincial's pointing at the municipal. And all of us need to understand that it's our community, it's our city, it's our planet, it's our place to maintain. And by doing so, we have to be responsible for the people who are making the decision. So we got to put the right people in place. So what are we looking for in those people, Mark? For somebody who's like, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. Uh, you know, when the, when the campaigns were underway, they said all the right things and then get into office and then it slides off the main page. I mean, this is, this is you and me in a three-hour on the couch conversation about the, the broken bureaucracy, right? But, yeah. you know, the short of it is the people who are truly trying. So if we say David Eby, I'm not, I don't ever back anybody individually, but I've known David since 08, 09. David won a UN award for advocating for the people of the downtown east side. He is now part in charge of housing and is enacting things that are actually truly going to make a difference. If we can get past all of the vilification, remember there's human beings behind this stuff and they're truly often doing the best they can in the systems that already exist, right? We do need to upend the systems. They need to change. We need better systems that can move faster. And I, I was yeah. saying, and I say this often, is that bureaucracy and comp- over-complexity are tools used by people who are enacting oppression. So if it's, I'm going to continue to make this a more complex issue than it is, poverty is not complex. Welfare is too low. Nobody can afford to live. And if they're consistently in that space, there is no space to recover. So if, you're, if you've struggled in your life, if you're listening to this, you know this. If you struggled, you don't have the mental capacity to think past tomorrow. How could you ever then get back? And so if we are providing those things as a society for people to really, truly be the most beautiful, brilliant, and bright selves, we, we will continue the cycle. And the cycle is then when we see the tip of the spear is these conversations about the opioid crisis, about the SRO crisis, about you know, police brutality. All of these things are symptoms of poverty. Where do you believe the first, we, we often hear about the, the four pillars, um, and it, it almost becomes a curveball to where do we start? Is there a place to start here? Uh, a Better Life Foundation certainly um, doing the, the work, the most important work of just literally feeding people. I'm, I'm, you were the one who taught me in doing a, a Plenty of Plates, with you, and, and we'll explain what the programs are. Um, but you were the sure. first person to, to point out to me, uh, as a born and raised Vancouverite, that there are hundreds and hundreds of people living in this city who don't take their medication, the, the medication they need to be healthy, because their medication must be taken with food and they don't have access to food regularly enough to take their medication. That landed on me like, that's got to change. Like, how do we change that? Right. And I mean, I've got a Santa's list that I could roll off the counter and down Hastings Street all the way over to the P&E of those things. And they all, again, just point back to people should have enough money to survive. 
And I think the most important one, if anybody wants to take this away today, is we know for an absolute statistical fact that it costs two to three times to us, the taxpayer, it's our city, this is our money, more to keep somebody unhoused and unhealthy and feeling isolated than it would to build them housing and wraparound services. More money. And so we know this. It's, it's not maybe. And yet we continue to perpetuate these systems because it seems apparently overwhelming. But I don't think it is. I think there's easy solutions. Okay, so where's the issue with that? If it is more expensive to keep people in poverty, living in poverty, than it, than it would be to just build the places with the wraparound supports, is it that nobody knows where to build that? I think what continues to happen, from my experience in this, in this particular city, but also in San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York, where I work heavily overseas, and, you know, I work in this globally, where yeah. I see it being successful is when people stop and concentrate long enough to make it work, right? I think there's only two states that we live in, and politicians are no different, flow or spin. And the spin is the one we know. Where are our keys? Where is this? What's happening? And with being inundated with too many things to solve, Nobody ever solves anything. And so politics is no different than our day-to-day life of being inundated with too much. So if we just had somebody put it together and say, hey, can we just focus on this thing until it's solved? Yeah, roadworks will continue. Yeah, water will continue. All the things will continue. But we just need to knock this out. Can you imagine the joy this city would feel if we ended this problem? Can you imagine? Like the celebration from the gold medal game times 10. And we could. The private equity is there. The political will is there. The plan just needs to be put in place. We got land. I'm looking at a whole bunch of it with tents on right now. I'm looking out my window at that. And there's spaces where we could develop safe housing. And so many people have already done it. They've shown it in the city. Beautiful container housing. Luma, Akira, Portland. We've done it. We know how to do it. We just need to put all the ducks in a row to really look after people that we love. And that's why we get so angry is because we can't stand to look at it. Jody Vance with you in for Mike all week. Continuing my chat with good friend of the program, Mark Brand. He is a social impact entrepreneur. He is a chef and professor of innovation. And Mark, I want to talk uh, with you specifically about some of the programs that you do out of Save on Meats um, and give a little, just a little bit of history for our listeners so they understand what Save on Meats is because so many of us in Vancouver have driven by it and, and some might not realize how it's evolved over the years. Oh, absolutely. So 1957 institution, not just for the neon sign, former proprietor and mentor of mine, Al Delorier, rest in power, takes the space, makes it the biggest meat market on the West Coast, doing deliveries all over the mainland. Uh, I sit at that diner when I'm going through a particularly hard time, spend a lot of time there eating the famous Buffalo burger. A lot of people remember for four bucks, develop a friendship with Al as he's retiring. Long story short, in an Oprah series later, we take over the diner and convert the four-story space into the first real like social impact incubator. And I use that language begrudgingly, but that's what it was. Like, how do we create businesses? And so Soul Food was in one of our meat lockers developing their plans and many other businesses. And we created a community there with the purpose of how can we address these problems as citizens, as business people, and then help support the folks that we care so much about. It was my 10th business in that neighborhood uh, since 2006-7, traditional restaurateur, et cetera. Um, but as soon as that happened, my whole life changed. That's all I wanted to do. And so we've been operating there since, uh, just celebrated our th- um, 3.5 million meals served out of the door. Wow. Um, wow. All scratch made by people from the neighborhood, for people in the neighborhood, and of course are very honored to operate on the unceded territories uh, of the Snohomish, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Musqueam nations. Um, and my executive chef, from the Stoho Nation. So that's a little bit about what we do. You can hear my excitement because I have so much to say about it. You really do. And I'm going to continue to prompt you. A betterlifefoundation.ca is a great uh, place to sort of cruise around and learn more about what you're doing there. Um, I, we'll get into plenty of plates and the Greasy Spoon Diner, both things that I've had the incredible honor to be involved in. You, you, you bring the community together in such a beautiful way. But I do want to speak about how you employ those who perhaps... 
uh, were handed a, a, a raw deal in life, and yet you've you've made it so successful uh, to to train people and give them an opportunity. Yeah, I think you know there is no us and them. There's just us, and I say that with all sincerity. It's a mantra. It's every day, and you know there. A quick stat for anybody because I always like to, people to take away things. Um, turnover in the service industry from airport porters to people who work at the cinema to people in your restaurants, 80% per annum. I would hazard a guess that's even gone up since uh, the pandemic. People who have traditional barriers to employment, whatever that may be, turnover at less than 30% on a national average. In my employment, less than five, which means that I'm not showing out the five to $10,000 to retrain or train an employee every single year. Uh, and that's why so many businesses fail. So I just, I give you that metric as a teaser. Um, you can check socials. I talk about all the time or any of our web stuff, barrier employment or employment of people who have just been wronged by systems to be very frank, never really got the chance, uh, is one of the single most rewarding things that you can focus on as a community member, and as an employer. It's really magical to see the team at work as well. Now I want to talk about Plenty of Plates. Plenty of Plates is an alternative for people who want to just cut a check and hand it over uh, without understanding where that money goes. Can you just give mm. the, the Coles notes on your pl- Plenty of Plates program? And I cannot wait to dive back into it. I miss it. Oh, we can't wait to have you and the family back. So, you know, the big part about this is we shouldn't be looking to charitable organizations only to be doing this work but we can't do this work if we don't understand what it is. And if we have traditional fears and tropes and narratives we're carrying about people in neighborhoods, we can't dispel them unless we touch the work in a safe way. All of that is by research and design, right? So what do people love to do? They want to learn to cook. People were asking me for 10 years, can I come cook with you? Like I have no time for that. Uh, And then I was like, if people keep asking, let's just design for it. So you get 15 people together. We teach you how to cook a three course meal from scratch, cutting the tops of the onion bags off. You've done it yourself. And then you serve people directly in the community who are our community members, predominantly through indigenous organizations we're partnered with and other housing organizations. Everybody gets the invite. They come in, you print out the menus, flowers on the table, music in the background, and serve them. It's not a soup kitchen line. You don't line up the cafeteria tables. You are served a joyful fine dining menu. And we've done a hundred of those. Literally, we did our hundredth three and a half weeks ago, uh, and we're getting back to them. And with that, also, as the money is raised for it, I think the raise is typically around $5,000 between 15 people. That then also purchases the meal program for the next day, which is between 12 and 1300 meals. That's how we equate it, but it's, it's spread across the week. Um, and that's, so you're not just feeding them then and not just learning together and not just cooking, but we're also creating advocates. So you start to understand the community a little more. You spend time in it in a way that's in service. And it's, yeah, it's one of the most beautiful things. I've created a lot of stuff in my life. Um, but this thing my team and I put together is something I'm extremely proud of. You should be. It's the coolest thing. And I brought a couple of kids down there prior to the pandemic. It was actually the last group thing that we did before COVID hit. And uh, the kids that I brought, not sure if they would be engaged enough. I was, I was kind of worried and uh, changed my son and his best friend forever. They talk about it constantly. They discuss it with their friends. They look forward to doing it again and wish it was a part of their daily curricu- or weekly curriculum at their school. It is that cool. Go to abetterlifefoundation.ca, find out more. Mark Brand, as always, I could talk to you for hours, um, but uh, I'm here for you. And I know that uh, you're here for me when I reach out and want to talk these things through. You always bring the positivity with the challenges. And I think that's uh, your superpower. Thanks for doing it. So much love. And to everybody listening, stay safe and vigilant out there. Lots of love. And if you have something to give in a time where reaching out and being in person is more difficult, look into the token program uh, that literally you can buy food or clean socks or support people who are living with less immediately. A betterlifefoundation.ca. Jody Vanson for Mike this week. Glad to have you along on this first Monday of 2022. And my question for the buzz line today is actually about last year. Remember 2021? Remember way back when? <laughs> what was your streaming service, your binge watch, or your movie that you loved the most in 2021? Call our buzz line, leave that message. So many people wanting to share what 
our must watches were 604-331-2899, 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. Leave a voicemail. We're going to play those uh, at the end of the show today, and I'm going to make a list, write them all down because I need those. Uh, I, I've been locked into Yellowstone. It is just, yeah, one of those, not for the kids, so even even maybe not for the teens. <laughs> it's one of those shows. Think the Sopranos on a, uh, a horse uh, farm. Uh, yeah, something like that. It, it's sharing our, our favorite binge watches or movies is something that we're going to do a little later on in the program. Uh, yours are going to be involved, but I'm going to hear from Thor Dykow, who is an expert on all things movies. He is a, a movie reviewer and will give us his list. And he's got a couple of new ones that are uh, must hear about. Certainly, I'm excited to speak with Thor. Our next guest, however, somebody I'm also very excited to speak with because I don't remember a time where I've gone to a website and learned as much in just a couple of clicks as I did on the Invasive Species Council of BC website. No, I'm not kidding. bcinvasives.ca. This is a resource that every British Columbian who loves beautiful BC needs to click in on and tune in on. Honestly, Galen Wallen, Executive Director of Invasive Species Council of BC. Gail, I got to tell you, I've learned so much. I thought I knew I thought I was doing as much as I could to protect BC, and clearly we have a lot to learn, and, uh, and you're here to help us uh, get educated on it. Thanks for doing it today. Well, thank you for having us. Let's begin with one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, not just the, you know, being able to go on, as I said, bcinvasives.ca. I click on the, you know, why you should care button. Mm-hmm. And, and just the simplest bits about, I didn't know I should be cleaning my boots even when I'm just going from one area of the lower mainland to another and really rinsing them off or, or taking firewood from one area to use it in another if I'm going to mm-hmm. go camping when, when fires are allowed. These are things that never even dawned on me. So uh, there must be so many like me who come to you and say, how did I not know till now? How did you get involved in this? Give us, give us your story, your origin story, if you will, for invasive species. Uh, well, I got species. involved because I was working with a group of ranchers who wanted to make a difference because so many people are spreading invasive plants across or like a really sensitive grasslands. But when you take a look at it, just like the example you used, invasive species, which are those species that don't belong in British Columbia or in the place that you live, they've been brought in by plane, train, uh, travel, or planted intentionally. So once we started looking at it, we realized that most of our invasive species are moved across BC by people, often intentionally, particularly releasing pets or planting uh, invasive plants in your garden. So it's a pretty simple solution to go, okay, well, let's give people the information so they can take responsible actions, just like you just talked about. So important, too, because a lot of people immediately go to, oh, murder hornets. I know invasive species, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, that's a that's a good headline. And certainly we don't want murder hornets here. But more and more, if you, if you speak to people in like Kalamalka Lake or Okanagan Lake and they start talking about milfoil mm-hmm. and, the, and how, you know, something as simple as a weed that's attached to the motor on your boat that you plunk into a new lake can exponentially damage that lake forever. When you bring in an invasive species that doesn't belong here, it doesn't come in with the natural checks or predators that keep it in balance. So when it comes in, there's only a small percentage of non-native species that are a problem, but that 4 or 5% are, cause disastrous effects for our environment and our economy and even our community because many people will have allergies or they'll change the recreational areas that you can play in. So you used examples that some people may go, okay, I don't know what milfoil is, but when I'm talking with, particularly when I'm talking with kids, I can I can almost always relate to kids by saying, have you ever had a goldfish or a rabbit or a red slider turtle? Those are common examples of invasive species that are the only reason they're a problem is because people have taken them as pets and released them to the environment. So it's really easy to get people realizing how simple actions can cause a problem and therefore responsible actions can fix that and avoid that problem. So you're right. It, um, when we take a look, uh, like across the lower mainland, every, many people are familiar with the Himalayan blackberry, which is an invasive species and takes over trails and fences and parks. Yes, it has nice berries, but it destroys everything else that would normally grow there. So there's some really, the, the lower mainland and southern BC has such easy examples to relate to. 
Fascinating. I just saw the, those blackberry bushes uh, taken out en masse from Pacific Spirit Park. And I was wondering, wow, they're working so hard to get rid of those brumble bushes. And now I understand. Yeah, uh, well, when you get Wallen, an invasive species oh, like blackberry or yeah. knotweeds that you have down there, you've also had giant hogweed. Those will, what they'll do is they'll form a solid uh, one species uh, habitat. So it displaces all the native ones that grow there, and it also uh, uh, removes all the habitat for birds and small mammals, etc. So that's why you don't want Himalayan blackberry or knotweeds or whatever. And you can make a difference. Most of these we've planted. You know, over 60% of the invasive plants in British Columbia were planted by us because we thought they were good at the time without knowing the implications. So now we work with the horticulture industry, et cetera, and with the plant-wise program. So before you plant something in your backyard, check and make sure it's not invasive in your part of BC. And, 60%? And, <laughs> I'm astounded. 60%. Yes, but ne- over 60%. So we can make a difference because if we don't plant that 60%, we're going to stop introducing new invasive plants into our environment. Wow, so. that's unreal. Okay, Galen, I, or Gail, I got to let people know, invasive Species Council of BC. You're the executive director, Gail Wallen. I am. Uh, the, the website is bcinvasives.ca. The reason mm-hmm. why I want to reiterate all of that is because you, you mentioned kids. And when, when connecting with kids, I mean, kids are our future. We know this to be true, but there are some significant opportunities, particularly with this coming week where kids are maybe delayed and going back to school, depending on their situation, uh, mm-hmm. that they can access some of this incredible intel Uh, by connecting on your website. Can you walk us through, uh, let's start with Seek, the kids' version of the the iNaturalist app. So one of the tools that, uh, so whether you're young in age or young in heart, you all can be taking a look at what you have in your backyard or your community. Now, some of us have got snow. We have to wait for the snow to melt or be rained on. But if you take, if you download iNaturalist or Seek, which is the children's version of it, you can actually go out and snap photos with your phone, etc., get it identified and find out you know, is that Himalayan blackberry and what do I do about it? You know, you can find out what that species is so that you can take action. So if we get more familiar with what should be in our backyard, we'll actually start to recognize what shouldn't be there. So right across BC, um, you can access iNaturalist. It's got information that's for the local area. You can find it. And we're going to have very shortly some information popping up on the, we have a special program called iSpy Identify that actually will have information on iNaturalist geared to um, invasive species. So join the iSpy Identify uh, project underneath iNaturalist or go to Seek and get the kids involved. And if you're, if, if it's minus 20 or snowing outside, there's still other resources we have on there. We have actually a full kids activity section with puzzles, games, uh, coloring sheets, etc. But if you're an older person and you're going through high school, we actually have um, a community science youth network. And you can join in this way and get your hours that you need to qualify for graduation through doing volunteer work in your local community through our community science volunteer network. So there is a number of activities that kids can do and you can do them with your kids. So you don't need to send the kid, you can send the kids out on their own or you can join them and learn more about what's happening in the environment around you. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith, continuing our conversation with Gail Wallen, Executive Director, Invasive Species Council of BC. And Gail, honestly, the perusing I've been doing on your website, there's so much to just devour on here for somebody who loves to get out in nature in beautiful British Columbia and want to protect it. Just before mm-hmm. the break, you were talking about how the teenagers can can access some of the e-learning courses uh, on your mm-hmm. website. Uh, mm-hmm. Free in January? Yes, we're offering all our courses free for the month of January, so it's a perfect time, particularly when schools are closed uh, unexpectedly yeah. for our yeah. students right now. So uh, you've got a 14-year-old. There's courses they could take there. There's online learning. They can actually sign in for the Community Science Volunteer Network that we have. And um, for most schools, most programs in their teen years require them to do community service hours, and we've got options for them to do that, and we provide that support. Um, and we try to cater to the wide diversity of youth. So whether they, they're a techie person and they can't get outside for whatever reasons, we've got tools and options for them. But also if you're, you're, you're a teenager and want to get outside, there's lots of activities that will support them in while they make a difference in their community. So it's a way to grow your, uh, your volunteer hours, which you need to have. 
you also gain um, experience, which will help you for your job resumes, and you actually learn a lot of interesting things. I've not met somebody that I can't find an invasive species that uh, that is something that's been close to their heart at one point. It is really a great resource. I, I, I want to reiterate, bcinvasives.ca, bcinvasives.ca. I actually have somebody who had sent me a DM on Twitter saying, Jody, can you please ask your guests why nurseries are still allowed to sell invasive plants like foxglove and St. John's wort, please? So, so it's interesting. There's... Um, uh Invasive species um, are regulated. There's a number of them that are regulated by provincial and local regulations, but it takes a while to update those lists. So Mm. um, the ones that are regulated are not sold by reputable stores. The one... The, the other challenge we have in BC is what is invasive in the south may not be invasive in the north, um, just because of different weather and climate. So it, we're working very strongly with industry. Go to um, groups like Garden Works, et cetera. They've committed not to sell invasive species in their area. And so that's a question you can ask your retailer. And if you see them being sold, if you see um, yellow flag iris being sold, give us a call, send us an email, we'll go follow it up. There is, And we are working to encourage more invasive species to be regulated, but we also know that an informed public can make a big difference as a gardener. Making a big difference as a community, so knowing the resource, Invasive sure. Species Council of BC, if you're just tuning in. I want to talk again, uh, we, we spoke a little bit about it in the prior segment, but some people don't realize how detrimental releasing that pet that they kind of bought on a whim mm-hmm. uh, into the wild uh, might might be, how, how damaging that might be. And, and one of the, uh, when, when putting this segment together, one of the things that came up was, how, how can a fuzzy bunny not be okay? <laughs> fuzzy bunnies and goldfish are, you know, great examples of uh, species that don't belong outdoors. Um, rabbits, we know, can reproduce a lot. So that rabbit you thought was cute at Easter, you know, two years later, you're tired of feeding it and cleaning its cages. Don't release it out to the wild. Um, take it back to the source that you got it from. Take it, uh, talk to a pet store, give us a call. There's a number of programs to rehome rabbits. Um, yeah. But letting them out, they do. They eat a lot of vegetation, but they also can carry diseases to our native rabbits. So, no, we don't want those, and we don't want goldfish. That little tiny goldfish that sits on your counter for a month or two months is actually going to live to four or five years. When you put it wow. out into a lake, it'll be four or five pounds. So it will grow to that size, and then it will outcompete with the native uh, fish that are there. So absolutely wow. don't release your pets. Do not let it loose. No, the four to five pound goldfish. <laughs> Sorry, that just gave me a visual. Uh, Gail, what are what are some of the other things that um, are really the invasive species, uh, if you will, one hundred and one? Like things that I, I could reiterate them here because I'm reading them on your website because they're mind mind blowing to me. But what are some of the most common mistakes that people don't even realize they're making? Because it's pretty obvious when you take that pet that you uh, have tired of or found more uh, work than you had banked on and then you release it into wild thinking you're here run be free when in fact it's actually detrimental but what about that one seems a little bit more obvious to most but what about the the sort of innocent pieces of this that you may not even know you're doing for sure, a really common example right now is of people moving, and we moving either boats, trailers, or just moving homes, is when you're moving from one part of Canada to another, or one part of BC to another, you can actually accidentally be moving insects with you. Insects are highly can be highly invasive, so right now there's a real alert on for different types of gypsy moths, and that's because we don't want them in our forest because they'll decimate our forest, etc. So. When you're moving or when you're taking your trailer from one location, check to see if it's clean. Check to make sure that that boat has no hanging invasive plants or hanging plants on it. Just assume they're all invasive. Make sure that your your trailer, uh, when you're moving, hasn't got this mass of eggs that are hanging at the back of the nice sheltered doorway. Remove that before you move it. So we actually use a, a slogan, uh, play, clean, go. So play wherever you're going to go, whether it's hiking or boating or whatever. Make sure you're clean before you're moving on. That makes a whole lot of sense. So many people just drive down the 101, go hang out in California and drive, you know, during normal times and then just drive right back. You'd never think, oh, we should wash the vehicle before leaving California on our way north. 
Yeah, and the challenge is it's really important to wash. I mean, there's some invasive species that you can't see, like right now in BC is it's been really aggressive on making sure we don't get invasive mussels into our fresh water. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's boat inspection requirements by the provincial government that you have to go through before you enter BC from, you mentioned California or from Ontario. Those places have invasive mussels. You can't always see them because they're actually microscopic if they're living in the water in your boat. So you actually have to clean, drain, dry your boat, and there's requirements to have your boat inspected before you come in. So... The, the whole moral, it's sort of like anybody who's spent time outdoors has learned, you know, leave no trace. This is mm-hmm. the same thing. Do not move anything with you. We want you to play clean. Go in all ways when you're outdoors. Great advice. What an informative few minutes we've had together, Gail. I hope we speak together, speak again soon. This has been great. Thank you, and thank you very much. And be alert and give us some reports in of what you think might be an Asian giant hornet or anything else, and we'll confirm what it is. So thank you for your time, and let's get out there and check out what we've got in our backyard. Thank you. Jody Vance with you. And uh, just a reminder that our Buzzline question today is one sort of for a holiday and sort of for a week that, uh, you know, parents, kids, teens, everybody's had to shift into sort of this holding pattern mode as we have the gradual return to school and and sort of an opportunity, I know I'm going to do this with my son, is to maybe watch something we didn't have time for over a busy holiday season. And uh, I know I have some of my favorites in binge watch and streaming series or movies from 2021. What are yours? Everybody shares their list. What's your list? What's the platform you watch it on? 604 331 2899-604-331-BUZZ. Leave us a message on our buzz line. Tell us what your favorite movie of 2021 was or what you binge watched and loved the most. 604-331-2899. To get his take, we go to The Professional. He is a film critic and a video reporter at Vancouver is Awesome. He is my good friend Thor Diakow is on the line. Hi, Thor. Joey Vance, great to talk to you again. And thank you for the uh, Tom Sawyer Rush intro. Really appreciate that. Well, you know, I mean, when you know, you know, you know. Exactly. I, I've been so looking forward to this. Uh, for you and I, of course, for those who wouldn't remember or maybe don't, uh, when we were on breakfast television together, you would bring out the hammer on a Friday. You would throw down, here's the movies, here's what's going on, here's my take on it. You've been a professional uh, film critic for how long now? Man, I, we're talking about Spider-Man today at some point, and I think one of the first movies I reviewed was Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, so that's going back oh, quite a ways now, like uh, 15 or so years, but um, yeah. yeah, it's been quite a journey, I'll tell you that much. It has, but you know what I've learned, Thor, is that you have a great way to explain why you like or dislike a particular film, and it allows people to say, you know what, I'm like-minded, or no, you know, that sounds like something that I might like, even because for the reasons you didn't enjoy it. So it's not like, this is a bad movie. You actually parse out what you witness as a film critic, and I love that about you. So with that said, let's dive in to the movies of 2021 with Thor. And it starts, I'm going to play the audio for you and you can give us your critiques. You ready? Sounds good. Let's hit it with Dune. You need to be ready. You've never met Harkness before. They're not human, they're brutal. The Duke's son sees too much. This is my Dune. Kill them all. God in heaven. Off the ground, go! This is an extermination. Oh, it gives me goosebumps, Thor. That's a juicy soundbite, and uh, you know I had to pick a science fiction one because it's one of my favorite genres. This was considered an unfilmable book for many years. It's, of course, based on a 1965 Frank Herbert novel, which has become a classic in the lexicon of science fiction literature. It's been, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, remade and retold and reworked over the years in various iterations. There was, of course, the much maligned 1980s version from uh, David Lynch, who he famously distanced himself from. And uh, I kind of have a soft spot for the 84 one. It's definitely got its share of problems, but uh, that was cinematically what a lot of people were comparing this new one to from Canadian director Denis Villeneuve. 
And it's basically, I mean, think about Game of Thrones in space. You've got all that classic uh, palace intrigue sort of thematic element going on, and then you've got all the, the um, wonderful special effects, the great cinematography, the score, great acting, almost kind of like elevating the material because of uh, the, the, the panache of a lot of the performers in this one. And this is a two-parter, so it's um, one of the main criticisms I did hear about Dune was that it feels like half of a movie. There's a section uh, where it does end, and it's basically to be continued but that aside, I thought this was a, a wonderful genre movie and really raised the bar for what science fiction can do. And Denis Villeneuve already kind of did this with his other films like Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. He's also got another science fiction project in the works. So Dune to me was an utter triumph. And it was one of those movies. I know a lot of people, they were kind of shying away from going to the big screen this year. But this was shot a lot of it for the IMAX screen, and it was one of those theatrical big screen experiences that you had to go see in a theater to really fully appreciate it. This is one that is on the top of my must-see return to the theater list. And the 1980s ones, I have to admit, is a total guilty pleasure of mine. I love that movie. I could watch it any day. It's one of those ones, if you go buy it on TV and it's there, I will stop what I'm doing and watch the rest of it. Any movie that puts Sting in it is okay with me. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, or like and- Patrick Stewart going into battle oh, carrying a pug, you know? like. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this seriously? One, though- yeah. yeah, not a lot to make fun of in this one because it's pretty it's pretty straight, pretty by the book. It, it's, you know, I, I want to say humorless, but it's a very serious, very dark story. You've got Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, and you heard a couple of the other wonderful actors and actresses in that um, that clip there. But Rebecca Ferguson, a standout as, uh, as his mother, uh, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista. The list goes on. Yeah. Uh, it is on HBO Max if you want to see it at home. Still playing in some theaters, but that's uh, my recommendation to go see it on the biggest screen possible. I am resisting the urge to watch it on HBO Max, and I'm going to go to the theater, and I, I'm stamping that firmly now because of your suggestion. Okay, let's move to the next one, which is another on my list. Both of these movies are ones that my teen has seen and has brought, brought back uh, the A++ uh, <laughs> on his scale. Let's go to Spider-Man No Way Home. Botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, I mean, it's low-hanging fruit to go for a comic book movie, I know. And it's I know people are thinking, oh, Disney Marvel again with this. And I've yes. seen a lot of these movies. I've had to sit through my share of superhero movies. But something really special happened with Spider-Man No Way Home. And if you're able to avoid the spoilers, I think that's the best way to go into this film. I know it's hard with the Internet culture today because there's a lot of surprises in this film. But, again, if you go see it in the theater with people that haven't really – you know, been uh, up to speed on what happens and all the twists and turns. There's audible gasps and there's moments of uh, just sort of triumph uh, when you're sitting there with a live audience. It's really special. What they did with it was pretty incredible when you think about all the Spider-Mans all over the years. I mean, we had Tobey Maguire, we had Andrew Garfield, and the way they're able to, like, give the ultimate roller coaster fan service ride in this one, it is pretty amazing. So it's the 27th film in the MCU, and wow. you kind of heard it in that clip there with Doctor Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, wonderful voice, and he brings, really grounds that character. Basically, it picks up from the events of the last Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland, Far From Home, at the very end, when his identity has been revealed that Peter Parker is, in fact, Spider-Man. So at the beginning of this movie, that's causing a lot of problems for Peter and his friends, obviously, and they play up the whole social media aspect and a lot of the conspiracy theories and some of the uh, the fringe media, if you will. That's really examined interestingly. So uh, basically, Peter goes to Doctor Strange and says, can you make a spell that makes everyone forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So that has some, you know, <laughs> repercussions, we shall say, but incredible action in this one. And I really like how the characters are gelling. I mean, this is Tom Holland's third standalone Spider-Man movie, and you can be sure there's going to be more. They've already greenlit a direct sequel to this one. And the way they're weaving in all these different storylines, I just thought it was amazing. And it had so many emotional beats that it hit, and um, it was poignant at times, even though it's a Spider-Man movie. So it's, it's, arguably one of the best Spider-Man movies that they have put out there yet. 
Jody Vance in for Mike Smith, continuing with my good friend Thor Dykow. He is a film critic and video reporter at Vancouver is Awesome. And yearly, you come through for me, Thor, when we want to talk about must-see movies that might have been missed in the year that has flown by. This last year has been the longest decade of our lives, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, let's let's get to uh, three more that you have on our list. You've already given Dune and Spider-Man No Way Home the huge thumbs up. Next up is one I can tell you I've not heard of. This is Come On, Come On. And when the time comes to return to your star, it may be hard to say goodbye to that strangely beautiful world. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're definitely crying. Say you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. What is Come On, Come On all about? Oh, Jody, this is such a sweet film with Joaquin Phoenix, and he's not playing a total maniac or creep in it. He's a very lovely man, a radio journalist who's traveling the country with his producing partners, and they're interviewing children about their lives and their thoughts on the future, and something happens that he has to actually end up taking care of uh, a young boy named Jesse, a nine-year-old, and he has to travel to California to care for, um, or well, his sister has to care for um, her estranged husband who's struggling with some mental illness, so she asks Joaquin Phoenix's character to watch over this kid it's a beautiful drama you're going to need the tissues especially if you're a parent it's shot in black and white and uh, it's just been getting critical acclaim but not a lot of people have heard about this film i always love throwing in like a nice little kind of indie drama with some emotional beats in it and this is definitely one to watch so watch for this at the end of the year with the well not the end of the year sorry the 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 beginning of the award season as we uh, get into sort of the screenplay awards and the screenwriting and the directing because this is going to be one that uh, will, will resurface when it comes to awards time is it somewhere easily accessible on a streaming platform now or? You know what? That is a great question. Um, it had a limited release in theaters and um, I think it will be on a platform soon, but I'll, I'll check okay. that out and uh, make sure we pass it on to your listeners. Okay. Tweet it out and I'll retweet it. Uh, Thor Diakow is our film critic here. If you're not following him on social media, you absolutely should. Of course, follow his reports on Vancouver is awesome as well. Uh, follow me at Jody Vance, Jody with a Y at Jody Vance on Twitter. Next up on the list. Uh, this one sounds awfully familiar, but it's brand new. This is West Side Story. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War Three? Oh, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. By the way, I should say, uh, you can rent Come On, Come On on uh, Apple TV or Amazon. You do pay a bit of a premium, but it is available for rent if you do want to check it out. Okay, good to know. Well done. Yeah. Good Google. Okay, good Google. so West Side Story, I mean, this needs no introduction, right? I mean, the 1957 stage musical, uh, that first broke onto the scene, and then there was, of course, the uh, classic film adaptation from 1961, uh, but now we've got Steven Spielberg in his first musical. He always wanted to remake this film. He has done so. The real tragedy here, well, aside from the Shakespearean uh, story and things like that, is that it's a box office bomb, but I saw it the other night it is just astoundingly good gorgeous visuals the performances are unmatched and the fact that he was able to sort of update the story while staying true to the original with the wonderful songs the Stephen Sondheim lyrics it is a, it is a true triumph but it's really sad that this movie did not find an audience at the box office there's probably a number of reasons for that particularly that it just came out around the uh, you know the, the holiday season and things were getting mm. particularly tense with people going to the theaters and being in large groups but this movie is amazing and it will surely clean up in the technical awards categories when you look at uh, the editing and the cinematography and all those aspects because it really feels like you are part of this uh, th this little community in this world so uh, Spielberg and his whole crew did such a wonderful job of giving it such life and the, the choreography and the dance numbers and the music it was astounding to watch I just sat there with my, my jaw dropped the whole time it was riveting okay that 
that endorsement right there jettisons this to the top of the list as well uh, that yeah. it was not not welcomed at the box office but it resonated so uh, so much with you somebody who sees as many movies as you do west side story is officially up the list let's go the last on the list uh, are we allowed to say this when we're performing the tragedy of macbeth Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven or to hell. I'm scared. I mean, yeah, you know the story. Uh, Macbeth has been translated into 25 different movies, uh, but this stars Denzel Washington in one of his best performances, directed by Joel Cohen, one half of the Cohen brothers. This is this actually his first solo project, apart from his brother, and it stars his real-life wife, Frances McDormand, as Lady Macbeth, and they shot it in an L.A. soundstage, so it's got that stripped-down element, much like uh, films from the 30s and 40s were, where they were just making them on these, these sets or these backlots yeah. and things like that. So it's got this stark black-and-white look to it, and the cinematography is incredible as well. The performances, uh, Denzel Washington really carries the thing. But one of the scene stealers is a woman named Catherine Hunter, who's a British theater actress. She actually plays all three of the witches, and they play a pivotal role in the story. But the tragedy of Macbeth is must-see material for 2021 well i got into 2022 (laughs) you had me you had me a denzel on that one i love the fact that we were able to reflect on these films and i know that you and i will end up speaking around award season as well because you call it perennially when it comes to when when these drop so just to reiterate for those who are just tuning in we did dune spider-man no way home come on come on the joaquin Phoenix indie film, uh, West Side Story, and the tragedy of Macbeth. Thor Dykow, always a pleasure to hang out with you. It always goes by way too fast. Likewise, and you got my number, so give me a call soon.